Hello, thanks for listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. This is Adam Rosen, your host. I'm a fellowship-trained orthopedic surgeon who specializes in joint replacement. In these episodes, I'm going to share with you a lot of my tips and tricks and review classic articles and current implant designs. Thanks for tuning in and on with the show. Hello and welcome back. This is Adam Rosen and you're listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. So staying with the theme on the last few episodes, we're going to talk again about total hips. Um, Again, I've been receiving a bunch of requests to have some hip information. So I'm going to try to hit you with a few episodes just to give you some similar tips and pearls on performing a total hip replacement. And, you know, we talked about balancing and then we talked about the acetabulum. So now I'm going to talk about the femur and femoral preparation. So when you're doing the femur, um, there's a lot of things to really you know keep in mind. I don't actually physically template anymore, um, but it kind of shows my age because when I was in training and early on in my career, I mean, we still actually had x-rays that were printed and we used the transparencies and, you know, marking pen and, you know, did the templating the old fashioned way. And, you know, there's some great software out there now that you can use to template. Um, I, I template now a lot just kind of in my brain and with, you know, looking at the x-ray. So I have an idea, um, because it's important. We always take an x-ray during the case. And I find that's extremely important because it gives you this real time, immediate feedback. Um, and it allows you to make changes, but, I think that really it's a great idea to take an x-ray. If you choose not to, then I think you have to template. Um, because if, if you put a stem in varus, you know, and you don't recognize it because it feels tight and you get an x-ray in the recovery room, you know, you're going to kick yourself for doing the patient a disservice. Um, but if you're templating and you know you're off by, you know, two or three sizes, you pretty much reliably know that you're not aligned well in the canal for some reason. Um, so definitely templating is a key. Um, and it also depends on, you know, looking at the patient's anatomy, you know, what do they have a champagne flute, you know, femur, do they have a stovepipe? You know, are you going to use a tapered wedge, a fit and fill? Um, so you want to have sort of an idea there. And then also looking at the neck geometry, because, you know, do they have a valgus neck shaft angle? Is it varus? Do they have a lot of offset and not a lot of offset? Because you need to know your system and know your neck options, because, you know, if someone has very minimal offset, but a huge canal, and you're using an implant where, you know, the neck lengths jump as you go up, you're now going to be stuck with this really huge amount of offset um, in a patient that doesn't necessarily need it. So if you're going to use that stem, you may then choose to more medialize your cup. And this all comes from templating. Um, And then for me, um, the system I most commonly use has two different neck geometries. Um, a more valgus style neck geometry and a more varus style neck geometry. So I have that option of intraoperatively, you know, if I, you know, like one versus the other, I can choose that. Whereas if you have a neck shaft angle that's fixed and your only option is a lateralized offset, um, you need to know the jumps because, you know, in some, you know, the jumps are small, a couple millimeters and some millimeter jump may be, you know, larger. So you go from a little bit of offset not stable to a lot of offset. And the question is, is that too much? So you really need to know your implants and know how it fits a patient's anatomy and make the best decision before you get to the operating room on what implant would fit the patient well. And luckily, 
most patients fit most implants, but it's those outliers that you really want to be cognizant of. So once you've sort of had that plan, so we're in there, we've done our approach, you've exposed your femur. And again, I'm a, I'm a posterior guy, so I'm not going to go into anterior stuff. But so for me, you know, once, once I make my neck cut, um, Again, based on templating, based on the x-ray, most typically I find that that neck cut is made pretty much parallel to the base of the head. Um, and again, adjusted based on the proximal geometry of the stem that you use. You can use your little flag if you need to. And what I always find is that you know my lateral aspect of the cut comes out just at or just above the piriformis fossa, um, extending medially. Now, when I make my cut, though, I always make it a habit of you know, I make my medial cut first. So I come down towards my retractor. I typically use a cobra there to protect the soft tissues. And I'm trying to get a tooth blade or two just medial to the bone. And I make sure that I clear that medial side because if you re- if you cut laterally and centrally, but you miss cutting completely medially, and then you try to use the saw blade as an osteotome and you twist aggressively, unfortunately, one day you're gonna break off someone's calcar. It's going to happen. So I always make it a habit of making sure that my saw blade passes medially first, and then I work my saw back straight up and down to get the lateral side. And by coming out just at or above the piriformis fossa, I know some people that will use then an osteotome or saw blade to come straight from above, and I don't like having that crisscross because I'm afraid it creates a stress riser just at the base of the greater trochanter. So I try to get that to come off, and I like to see that whole head move, and then I can take the head out. Um, so once the head's out, you know, then you're looking at your neck. Um, Now, before I move on, what I do at this point is, you know, was the patient limited with extension? Um, If so, is the anterior capsule tight? I'll take the bovie and release the anterior capsule off of the anterior neck of the femur. Um, And then if they have osteophytes, I'll use a curette or ronger and take those osteophytes off because this allows me to place my femoral lifter, my femoral retractor, neck elevator in there better. And when I do my acetabulum, it allows that femur to translate more anterior to expose the acetabulum. So once I've placed my femoral elevator, um, I tend to place a cobra medially. And I use a little skinny mini um, retractor laterally but I keep it down so my assistant knows that that is there to protect the abductor. So when I use my canal finder brooches, putting in the implant, they are moving that and adjusting that to make sure that um, I'm not damaging any of the soft tissues over there. So the next thing, and I most commonly use a tapered wedge. You know, I use different stems depending on the patient's anatomy again, but most commonly a tapered wedge. So what I then do is I'll, I use my box osteotome. And it's extremely important that you attempt to create your version with the first box osteotome and then maintain that. So if someone's not paying attention and you use the box osteotome and you put it in retroversion, one, if you don't recognize that, you're going to keep putting your stems in retroversion. Um, Or then if you recognize it late, now you have this big gap. So you haven't really impacted bone or you don't have a good press fit because you have this big anterior posterior gap because you've placed things differently. So, you know, I make sure that my box osteotome looks appropriately antiverted. Um, And again, this comes down to how you do your hips and patient's anatomy. You know, there's some people that I know that will, you know, put the stem in pretty flat. They put their cup in pretty flat. You know, I tend to antivert, you know, my cup and antivert my neck a little bit, um, which gives, you know, good balancing and stability. So there's an art and a balancing that you cannot consider the cup and the stem position independent of one another. 
they are very dependent and, and definitely modified based on the patient's anatomy. Um, so once I've done my box osteosome, then I use a canal finder. And this is important to make sure that you feel that it is going straight down the canal based on landmarks that you've drawn out. Um, and then really check that T-handle and the leg position and make sure that you believe that you're straight, not in varus or valgus. And also um, that you're not putting this canal finder or you're not going to put your stems um, in an anterior posterior sort of angle. Uh, most commonly, you know, what I see is people struggle with small incisions. They can't get the leg down. So their handle and their brooch comes up and they may undersize the femur because when you look on the lateral, what you're actually looking at is the tip is along more the anterior cortex and up where the neck is, you've sort of inserted that more posterior in this weird angle. So you got to make sure that you're flat. Um, so once you really key in on that T-handle, really try to keep an eye on how perpendicular the handle is to the leg because that's going to be the back aspect of your brooches and making sure that you're down the canal. If you need to, if you feel that you're in varus with the T-handle, you know that's where you can sort of lateral rasp and get that up out of the way. And now you're going to go through your brooches. Um, now, depending on size, you know, me and the techs, you know, we tend to either start at a higher size or jump every other size. If it's a large canal, smaller canal, we might start lower with a starter and then just go up by ones. But as you broach, um, what you're going to be doing is you're going to maintain your version as it goes in and as it comes out. You know, commonly I'll see people put it in and they pay a lot of attention, but then as they come out, they're just kind of pulling it out. And again, if you're trying to press fit a stem and you're putting it in, in appropriate version, antiversion, but as it comes out, it retroverts, you're taking out this bone anteriorly or posteriorly, depending on which way you've sort of moved the brooch, and then you're not going to get a good solid press fit. So you really want to make sure that that brooch goes in in the appropriate antiversion um, and it comes out in the appropriate antiversion. Now, where can the problem occur, especially as you go up in sizes, is that your assistant holding the retractor, you need to make sure that that assistant doesn't get lazy or lose control of that retractor because if that retractor pushes up, it can push on your brooch or the neck and that can place you into retroversion or create sort of a tilt um, in your stem so it's not going in straight on a lateral view. And then also your leg holder, that if your leg holder is constantly moving the leg and you're not aware of that, even though your hand hasn't moved, the leg keeps changing, so the version keeps changing. So it's extremely important that when you start, that you're aware that the leg position doesn't change and that the retractors allow you the exposure so they don't affect the position of your handle or your brooches. So you've broached. Now, when we're broaching, there's sort of a art and and you'll hear if you hear you know people that do hips well you'll hear each one has their own sort of unique sound like a musician um you know mine and my tech always talks about it um i think he almost says it start, sounds like the gremlins sort of theme so it's a dent 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 bop bop and that dent 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 is my down bop 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 and then the back is pop pop um so it's down four sort of back to i guess that's my common i change it up from time to time technically really not thinking about it, but, you know, that becomes my broaching is, you know, down to it's kind of seated. So usually you can get it by hand almost down, but then, you know, it's tight. You're trying to move it. It's a dun, 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 and then back, bop, bop, then back down again, dun, 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 back, bop, bop. If you're hitting it back hard enough that it comes way out, you don't have control 
of your brooch or your mallet. So you really want to get it down, see it seat a little bit, back, you know, just basically like a bead or two or like a ridge or two, and then down again. Um, and depending on the sound and the pitch is how you change and adjust. You know, you'll hear me talk a lot, especially as we get into the final brooch or the actual implant or the cup you heard on the previous episode, this crescendo, decrescendo, because if you hit everything as hard as you can, um, one day you're going to break something. And it doesn't really give you a chance to hear and feel. Um, And if you're hitting it hard and fast, you're going to break it before you can even stop that next swing. So as you're getting into the final, it's that crescendo, decrescendo. But in the beginning, you know, usually these go down small. So it's pop, 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 pop. Okay, it's down, pull that out. Next brooch, pop, 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 down, pull the next brooch out. Pop, 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 down, next brooch. Okay, now we're getting tight. So now it's the pop, 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 and then back, down, pop, 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 back, and once you develop that rhythm, you can very gently sort of seat this. And what you're looking for is that, change that every implant is going to have, um, but each pitch is going to be a little different when all of a sudden it goes that thud, 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 dink, and you're going to hear that. So, okay, I'm down. Uh, so then you really have to assess, do I need a calcar plane? Am I down? Do I have a good fit and fill? And that's where you start to get into this feeling of, you know, that's where, that's where I'm going to be. Now, when you're broaching, um, the idea of varus or valgus. So this, this I want to talk about because I see a lot of young trainees come in and they constantly, every brooch, they're forcing lateral. Now, what are you doing? So, well, I don't want to put it in varus. Are you in varus is the question I always ask. And you can see like this light bulb go off in their head. So if you worked with people that every time they put a stem in it, it was always in varus, you have to ask Why? And why did that occur? And when did that happen? So if someone's always putting every stem in varus, the question is, with their box osteotome, are they lateral enough? Or with their canal finder, were they lateral enough? Or, you know, was there something on the templating? Um, or, you know, do you initially put your first brooches? Or you, because of your approach, are you aiming sort of in a varus position? So if that's the case, just fix that problem. Um, but if you're in varus, let's say we're going to go up to like a size six, um, and you're on brooch three or four. Okay, if you're in varus, you think you're in varus, it looks like you're in varus. Okay, lateralize that one. But if you're straight up and down, and now you're on your last brooch, and you push it into valgus because you think you're in varus, what you have to realize is that you may actually put your stem into valgus, um, and you may put the tip of your stem on the medial cortex. But worse, especially you know, if you're trying to get proximal fixation is that, you know, now you're broaching and taking away lateral bone and you've left a gap medial. So now you look at your x-ray and your stem's in valgus and you get this gap between the stem medially and the medial calcar, which potentially they're going to walk and the stem's going to loosen or wiggle or change in position. So when you force your hand lateral, it should be because you're in varus but you shouldn't always force your hand lateral to stay out of varus. You need to figure out why you're putting your stems in varus in the first place and correct that problem, Um, especially when you get to the last brooch or two because you want to make sure that that brooch is down. Um, So we've talked about, you know, position, broaching, you know, and then keeping it out of varus and, 
the exposure to make sure that your leg or your retractor doesn't create that problem. And then also the sound or the pitch changes and the crescendo decrescendo. Um, the next thing I want to talk about a little bit more is the, the actual balancing and specifically on the femoral side. So with the posterior approach, one of the common things um, that I do, and I see this more in men, short, varus necks, but a lot of times you get in there and the posterior troke is sort of overgrown. Um, I take this off early in my approach. So I'll actually peel back some of the abductor just to expose that corner um, and take it off with a rangier to allow me to place my retractor so my saw blade doesn't hit it. Um, and also because I know that may be an impinging force and it's abnormal bone. But there is also an anterior component to that. So if they have large anterior greater troke osteophytes and overgrowth, you need to remove that osteophyte because that will impinge with internal rotation and cause posterior subluxation. But there's also, I find, a corner sort of right at the posterior um, lateral corner of where the brooch is. There's usually a little bit of bone that grows underneath there that you can expose by taking the bovie and peeling back some of the soft tissue and take a curator around your. And again, that's a little part that may get stuck early on, anterior acetabulum or the pelvis that can cause some posterior subluxation. So you want to take that stuff off. Now, the other sort of last thing I want to talk about, and again, it's that's really complicated, but just to kind of broach the idea, no pun intended, um, is the idea of knowing your implants and how you adjust with length and offset. So, you know, it's really nice that if you put your, your cup in, put your stem in, put your trials in, and everything balances well, you're like, great, leg lengths, everything's great. Um, but if you're off, um, what you need to realize is, is it a offset thing or is it a length thing or is it a both thing? Because you may have more options depending on the implant you're using and whether or not they have different neck shaft angles or different offsets. Um, but you need to assess if you're not stable, you know, if it's a length thing and an offset thing, you can add a ball length and you're going to push your you know, femur down and out. So you're going to add length and add offset. If it is just an offset thing, you know, your options of a higher offset neck, lateralized liner on your acetabulum, or if you're adding just a ball, let's say your ball's your only option to increase offset, you then have to countersink your stem to remove the added length. So you need offset, but your lengths are equal. You want to add offset by adding a ball length. You got to sink your stem if you don't have a high offset neck. If you need length, but your offset is already equal or too much, that you can't just add a ball because you're gonna add your offset, but you're also gonna add more offset and length. So this is where you actually sometimes may go up a size um, in your femur. Maybe you made your neck cut too long, or too low rather, and you might actually perch your, um, your stem a little bit more proud than normal by going up. So now you've added length and you can put a smaller ball to decrease your offset. You know, the other option is if maybe you were using the high offset, you know, neck as your standard. Now you go to a more vertical neck shaft angle. You're going to gain length, but you're going to minimize offset. Um, so those are just options that, again, would come into play with your templating and more important in the extremely varus neck or more important in the extremely long valgus neck that hopefully you're paying attention to before you get in there. So, a whole lot of information. Um, 
exposing the femur, making your neck cut, using your box acetone, setting your version, things that prevent the change in position of your femur while you're broaching, setting the lateral position, broaching, the sound of broaching with the use of your mallet, um, the crescendo, decrescendo as you get towards that final brooch or the implant, um, not putting everything in var- in valgus just because you think it's in varus. You know, only shift it you know, laterally if you think you are or know you're in varus. And if you're constantly in varus, figure out why you're putting these in varus. And then lastly, all the differences that we talked about with balancing with regards to so always think of offset as well as length. Um, and those are the things that are going to help you sort of place your femoral component in the most appropriate way possible. So thanks again for listening. I'm Adam Rosen. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast, uh, a unique hip episode. Um, if you find this information helpful, please leave a review and please uh, you know recommend this information to your friends so they can uh, find this podcast and stay safe. I'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Total Knee Tips and Pearls podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed so you'll be notified of future episodes. And please take the time to leave a review. It helps other people like you find the show. Until next time, stay safe.